This is Wildcat Country. It's only right. The ball's in his hands. A milestone victory for Arizona. Simon Says Championship. All the inside scoop on U of A Athletics. Welcome to the relaunch of Wildcat Country. I am Eric Cohen, formerly of 1580 The Fanatic, and pleased to be joined weekly on this podcast by our friend Shane Dale, formerly of ABC 15, but here's how you would know him. He is the author of two books on the U of A ASU rivalry, the first one, Territorial, The History of the Duel in the Desert, and another one that's coming out this fall called Rich Rod versus Graham, Six Years of America's Most Intense Rivalry. And let me tell you what, having gotten a, an advanced copy, it is really, really good. Shane, it's it's a blast to have this podcast back. I know you and, and the great Jeff Dean, who we'll have on later in the program, uh, started this back in 2017, I believe. And uh, glad we can bring it back. Uh, I know it's going to be tough this fall uh, without uh, having football in the Pac-12, but it's a lot of fun always to talk Wildcat sports. I am excited, Eric. Uh, football or no football, and uh, obviously the latter looks more likely right now. Uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, to talk Wildcat sports, I think there's an opportunity for us to get creative, have some good guests on. But let's be completely honest. This is 100% about me selling books. Is that what it is? Uh, oh, see, this is... 100 100- well, at least ninety five percent. You know, five maybe we'll we'll save five percent for your gambling picks at the end of the show. But it's really about my, me hawking uh, my, the my first book that came out a few years back, and the second one that's coming out shortly. But uh, we'll, we'll get some good stuff in 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 there as well. But uh, you know, let, let's just be honest with folks. Before we get any further, uh, tell everyone about your new book that's coming out, Rich Rod versus Graham. Uh, it it really to me showcased a lot of things that, and I went to all six games between the two. But it showcased some things that I had never had any idea about. Um, it just had to be really cool to find out some of the intimate details uh, from the players on both sides. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's not really about a play-by-play of each game. Because, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you're a pretty diehard U of A fan. You know what happened at all six of those games. And four of them, you really don't want to remember the play-by-play. No, no. Or at least most of those games. Uh, but so what I tried to do is, you know, I talked to about 50 people all together, uh, guys who played in the games, uh, both coaches who are generous with their time, both Rich Rodriguez, who we'll hear from later in this show, uh, and Todd Graham, uh, both radio guys, uh, Tim Healy at ASU, Brian Jeffries at U of A, gave me some really good candid behind the scenes stuff. And we kind of got a feel for what it was like before each game, what was going on behind the scenes during each game, you know, what was on the line, what, you know, some stuff that players while they're playing at the school. They, they're not really able to talk about like in a post-game press conference, but now that it's been years since they played there, you can be a little freer with what you discuss. You can be a little more open. You, you have a different perspective and it's kind of cool to get those perspectives. And I got a lot of that from, uh, from guys who played on both teams as well as both coaches as well. So uh, coming out hopefully by what would have been uh, this year's territorial cup game, which won't be played for the first time in 75 years. And that is a shame, uh, but at least you had that look at uh, to look forward to and uh, we'll keep you updated on when that comes out. Yeah, and I think one thing about the podcast, you know, for those of you who are tuning in and, and we appreciate it and we're going to have a lot of of fun Wildcat guests and, and I think that's a key. Tonight's guest is going to be former Wildcat coach Rich Rodriguez who I'm sure has never been short on opinions and uh, and thoughts so we're going to we're going to hear from coach a little bit later in the podcast. 
But uh, I, I know, Shane, you know, uh, we're going to be different in that we're going to kind of showcase former games. We're going to we're going to talk about the good memories, maybe some of the not so good memories uh, from Wildcat lore. But, you know, we want to get you guys thinking. I mean, there's not there's not football this fall and it's really a bummer and we're all disappointed about it. But, you know, I, for one, uh, have been to every Wildcat home game since 2007. Uh, the last game I missed was Stephen F. Austin, which was early in that season. And uh, so I have been to all of them in Tucson. I've been to every ASU game uh, since 2001. I think I have a, a streak of 19 in a row. And of course, Shane, uh, nobody knows more than you about the rivalry, especially in recent years, because you've written two books on it. So we're going to be able to bring that level of of seeing things, you obviously talking to coaches and players, and, and I think that's what's going to make it a lot of fun, you know, giving our insight about those games. And and even though we don't have a football season now, you know, there's obviously a chance of one in the spring, and we will obviously discuss that. I do think we will we'll see college basketball at some point. So uh, all is not lost when it comes to Wildcat sports uh, this year. Yeah, we're going to do, be heavy on uh, reminiscing, which is not necessarily a bad thing, because let's be honest, if uh, there were a football season this fall, it probably wasn't going to be the best one for Arizona Athletics. I mean, I was looking forward to seeing some of the new guys on offense, especially uh, Grant Gannell, but not a lot was was uh, was thought of uh, for this team going forward. I think even one prominent sports writer had them going 0-12, if I remember correctly. So. Yeah, it was, it was looking on paper to be rough uh, for this team, and you never know. I mean, college football is one of those things, one of those sports where you think a team's going to be horrible, and they have a bunch of under, you know, overachievers who come out of nowhere, like uh, someone we'll have on a future podcast here shortly, which is Scooby Wright a few years ago. He was a two-star recruit, came out of nowhere to win the uh, Defensive Player of the Year in college football so maybe there was somebody for this wildcat squad to step up but I, I think when you look at it it was it was most certainly not going to be a fun season when it came to uh wildcat football and but at this point not a, a fall without college football shane it's just hard to imagine isn't it it is it's weird especially and we're, i know we're going to get into this a little bit more but when it looks like as of now we are we are going to have college football just not in the state of arizona and that, to me, is what is what drives me a little nuts. But uh, like you said, Eric, I think we're going to be heavier on reminiscing about, especially about happier times. I think you're going to see in these first several episodes, especially, a focus on that 2014 season uh, where you know, Arizona was picked to finish in the bottom half of the Pac-12 uh, South and went on and had some crazy victories, some last-second, uh, last literally some last-second victories. Uh, the big win over ASU to win the division – we won't talk about the last two games of that season. We'll just talk about the, the mostly the first 12. Uh, but we're going to uh, do a, a lot of talking about that with some of the guests we have on, including Rich Rodriguez uh, later today. So, you know, we'll, 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 we'll uh, tide your appetite, uh, tide you over uh, until football comes back, whenever that might be. So coming up on the podcast, we're going to have uh, Rich Rodriguez, former coach of the Wildcats, who was uh, with them for six years and led them to some successes that we haven't seen uh, more since the Dick Tomey days, let's be honest here. And uh, we're also going to have our buddy, uh, who was one of the original hosts of this uh, of this program, Jeff Dean, who is the voice of Wildcat uh, basketball and and football down in Tucson. So we're going to talk to uh, to Jeff a little bit later to get his thoughts. Before we go any further, Shane, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little curveball here. What is your favorite Wildcat football memory? Since you started going to school there, what, in, in 2000 is when you, you began? 99. 99. 99, you began going to yeah. school there. I started in 01. What is your favorite football memory 
it, it's kind of random for me. Uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of random, but I, I'm going to say the 2008 Territorial Cup game. Uh, ASU had beaten Arizona three years in a row. Arizona hadn't been to a bowl game in a decade. And if Arizona wins, they not only beat ASU for the first time in four years, they go to the Las Vegas Bowl, which at the time was a huge deal for the Wildcats. And I remember, you know, ASU was up 10-7 at halftime. It was frustrating. ASU was definitely not the better team that year. Arizona should have waxed them. The only touchdown Arizona had in the first half was from Rob uh, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, But they finally got it going late in the third quarter. They got a couple – they got a touchdown, got an interception, got another touchdown. And then my favorite moment was when Mike Thomas returned a punt for a touchdown late in the third quarter because the the, it just – everything just opened up for that. It was just like a cathartic moment. Arizona, they went up 28 to 10. They were going to win the game, like a decade of frustration and futility, four years of, or three years in a row after losing, losing the Sun Devils just kind of evaporated. And it was just such a fun atmosphere. I know it's kind of a random memory. No, that's a great one. That's yeah. It's one, it's one, especially because I went to the game with an ASU fan. Oh really? Uh, so yeah, so it was. It's still a good friend of mine. Um, you know, but, I I don't have a problem going to the games, uh, the Wildcat Sun Devil games with ASU fans. I'm one of my best friends, is an ASU fan, and he's gone to the game with me uh, just about I think seven or eight years in a row, and that's fine. He's not obnoxious, and I'm not an obnoxious uh, U of A fan. I have to think. I mean, there are there are a few that stand out, but uh, one that one for me that that means a lot was the uh, 2014 Hill Mary game. Uh, it was uh, the Wildcats were down at one point, uh, just getting crushed going into the fourth quarter, and they put up 36 points in the fourth uh, and won, obviously, on that improbable Hail Mary. And I've always had this philosophy when going to football games, you know, as somebody who who has been known to put a couple of dollars on the line. Just I, always, a couple. I always say, you know, if, if I'm not leaving the stadium in Tucson, I've, I've driven two hours from up in the Phoenix area to uh, to drive down to Tucson. I'm not leaving until either the game is decided mathematically or the betting line is is, you know, smashed. You know, it, it, either way it can't be it can't be changed. In so, that order. Uh, I would say it it can rotate one or the other depending on the game, right? <laughs> so I, I have been known to stay a lot later into football games than I probably should con- considering those two rules. And one of those games was was the Cal game back in 2014 when Arizona looked hideous for three quarters. And I just said, guys, I'm not ready to leave yet. I, I just, you know, there's just something in the air. And did I think it would happen? You know, that Hail Mary would happen? No, but most certainly it was uh, it was probably the most jubilant I have been for a non-ASU regular season game that I can remember. And And I think the other one that stands out to me is back in 2006 or 2007. I, I can't I can't remember offhand. You would probably know, Shane. Uh, it was a homecoming game, and it was between uh, Arizona and Cal as well. And it was when Antoine Quezon picked off uh, the quarterback for Cal and took it back to the house. Cal was ranked in the top 10, and the Wildcats upset them. Yeah, they were number eight at the time, I believe. There's actually there's some cool videos on YouTube. There's a guy who uh, he, he posts um, – some great, I think he just recorded stuff on his VCR and posted it on YouTube. He has a, like, it's called like one Wildcat fans top 10 plays. And that one, I think got honorable mention is the one that you mentioned is uh, from Antoine Kaysen. So how did that get honored? I mean, that was a, that to me kind of changed the trajectory of that program under Mike Stoops. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mike Stoops, you know, I think is an interesting question. We don't have to discuss it now, but who, all things being equal, who had a more success at Arizona? Who had a better tenure? Mike Stoops? Rich Rodriguez. And I think that it's a tough question because 
I think the, the immediate answer is Rich Rodriguez because they won the South. He had a above 500 record. But you look at the situation that Mike Stoops inherited after John Makovic. You know, no players, no recruiting pipelines, no facilities. And I think he very methodically turned that program around and made it attractive enough that Rich Rodriguez, a guy like Rich Rodriguez, who was the, one of the biggest names in college football at, at one time, would want that job in the first place. So I don't think Mike Stoops gets enough credit. I know we're going a little sideways here, but I don't think Mike Stoops gets enough credit for what he did at Arizona. I, I completely agree. I, I, I have always been a, a fan of Mike Stoops. I mean, he would knew how to upset. There was always one team a year under Mike Stoops where there would be, you know, a, a big upset. You know, it, was, it just it got to that point. His, his big first one. Was it was against ASU his first year at? Uh, I remember that uh, with uh, Richard Kovalchuk was the Wildcat quarterback. We're going to do at some point. We'll do some Wildcat trivia. I want uh, I want Shane to give away uh, some of his new books, so we're going to have to do some Wildcat trivia, and so you guys can follow along with that. But you know, Shane, right now the big story is let's talk about uh, the fall and what to you. Assuming there is is football and other conferences, but there is no Pac-12 football. How much does that leave a hole in your in your life? I mean, I can't even imagine, right? It's one thing, Eric, if the whole NCAA football season, the FBS season, it's canceled. It's another thing when your conference and one other cancels the season and the other teams are playing. Now, we'll wait and see if that actually happens. Uh, but it, I, look, the health of the players should be first, first and foremost. I absolutely agree. There's still... This coronavirus, even though it seems like it's been going on forever, it's still very new in terms of, you know, how it's treated and 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 how it's perceived and, and who's most vulnerable. I mean, you know, originally everyone was saying masks are useless and now everyone's saying mask up, you know, so that just tells you how quickly the science and the medicine changes. And so I understand that from from a, a contact sports perspective as well. But when you, you have an entire, conf- entire conference say, in my mind, kind of arbitrarily, we're not going to play again until at least January. Instead of pushing things back, kind of, you know, keep pushing things back a little bit. I guess on one, in, on one hand, it's more fair to the players because they can say, okay, we want out. But to say, oh, no, we're definitely planning on, on spring football, even though every other, almost every other conference is still going to play. That to me is just, it, it's, it's maximum incompetence, especially when you consider that just one, one or two weeks earlier, the Pac-12 announced a 10-game conference schedule. So I, I have my opinions on what changed. I think the the letter uh, to the players wrote in the Players' Tribune about, you know, why this so? or that. You oh, really, yeah. See, I don't. I look at it as the myocarditis issue with the fact that we don't know the long-term complications of, of COVID-19 and the coronavirus. Yeah. I, yeah I, 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 maybe I've underestimated the players' uh, demands. Well, I, there were a lot of them, and I, I remember I, – I, I can't remember exactly who said it, but there was a Power 5 uh, AD who uh, went unnamed who told uh, – I don't remember if it was Brett McMurphy or someone else I follow on Twitter said, you guys are missing the story. It's not about, about COVID. It's about these – like the, the, the threat of players essentially unionizing. It's just scaring the living crap out of, out, of, uh, out of these universities. So I don't think that was everything, but I think it might have been the nail in the coffin. It's like, look, we, we, we've got to – We've got to regroup here. And you think about which two players in which two conferences wrote letters in the Players' Tribune. It was the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, right? I I think – I got to think – again, I don't think they had everything to do with it, but I think it had at least a little bit to do with it and more than I think is they were being let – because there's always stuff that goes on behind the scenes, right? I think that had had a good chunk to do with it. And again, I I just – I don't like the idea of arbitrarily pushing things all the way back to – 
to to the beginning of January. I, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. And you know, in all sports, you know, because you know, things could be better in October. They could be better in November. They could be better a year from now. To 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 make it January first to me is arbitrary. I, I really have a problem with the not with the postpone and not delay uh, strategy by the Pac-12. I, I don't see any reason why you couldn't have said, okay, we're going to revisit this issue in mid-September. And if it's good to go, then we're going to have a month ramp up period and we're going to start in mid-October. I don't, I don't understand why we just had to pull the plug. I, I, to me, spring football feels incredibly unrealistic. You're, tell, you're telling me that players are going to play upwards of 20 games in a calendar year. Even if you were to do an eight-game uh, spring season, you know, then then you would do a twelve a twelve game season in the fall, and, and I think the other thing about a spring season that I hate is if you were to cut the fall season short next year, why would you want to affect that just to get in some games in the spring, which as Nick Saban at Alabama described as a JV season? Yeah, you know, well, look, look what it's already done to Arizona. You know, the the Schooler brothers already decided to to transfer. Now, I don't blame them. I I think any big tw- Big Ten or Pac-12 player, regardless of what year they are, should be allowed to go play somewhere else, at least next season. Uh, and, and stay there if they want to, without punishment. See, I, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. You, well, I don't you, like it either, but I think it's fair. No, I don't. Th- I think you committed to a school, and, and for now... those wasn't committed to you. They canceled the season. Yeah, but the season is apparently is still planning, and I don't think it'll happen, but I think, this, the, I think it's planning on happening in the spring. What I don't understand is, is if the other conferences do play in the fall, which I still doubt. I, I, I just... You know, we'll ask Coach Rodriguez about that, but I, I certainly personally don't believe that we're going to see college football this fall. I think the SEC and, and ACC and, and Big 12 are, are talking a good game, but I think when it comes down to it, how do you do a season without the Big 10 and Pac-12? And, and then, uh, secondly, how do you do a spring season with just two conferences if it comes down to that? Do you just play in yeah. the Rose Bowl and, and that's your like yeah. separate national championship? Is it wrong that I'm actually rooting for the other conferences not to play now just because I'm bitter about the Pac-12 not playing? You know, you're not you're not the only one. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who is a big uh, uh, is a fan of a Big Ten team, and he said, "I don't want everyone to play. I want it all to be shut down. If my school can't play, I want it to be shut down." Personally, yeah. I'm expecting to see Arizona play the next their next game next August or September. So I, I don't think we're going to see spring football. So if I can have any college football this year, I'll take it. And obviously I want that to be done in a in a safe way. I think the Pac-12 came out, you know, last week and and made some good points as to why they were shutting things down. I, I didn't like it, but I understood it. Uh the Big Ten obviously has not won the PR battle of late, uh, with their commissioner Kevin Warren doing, I think, a a, a horrendous job. I, I think Larry Scott is a horrendous commissioner. But I think he handled this one right, actually. I'm just by, ha- by by postponing the season. Well, no, but but the way the the justifications, okay, the justifications for postponing. Not that I agree with the postponement, but that wasn't necessarily his decision. That was a that was made by the school presidents and athletic directors. So, what do you think happened in the days? And I don't again, I don't remember exactly how long it was, like a week or two, between the Pac-12 announcing a ten-game conference schedule and then deciding to shel- to shelve everything until January third. January 1st. I think the myocarditis uh, facts that came out about that, I think that really made a difference. I, I really yeah. I really think that, that the science came out that was not necessarily supporting uh, the long, you know, showing that there are long-term implications to COVID-19. It wasn't just, all right, 
you know, you're going to you're going to get it. You're going to either be asymptomatic or you're going to, you know, get it pretty good. And then you'll get over it. A lot of people and have. The, but now that and the, other, and the other conferences are just ignoring that that science, then you think? Well, I think it, I'm, I think, not serious. I'm, not, I'm not being facetious. No, I'm no. I think w- w- it's turned into a political issue. And, and I, you know, obviously we're not going to talk politics on this podcast, but I think what it is when you look at the SEC and ACC schools, I mean, those are in, you know, you, you can probably guess which side of the aisle most of those states uh, will go in November. And, and when you look at the Big Ten and the Pac 12, for the most part, those are blue states. And it's not it yeah, just, Pac, Pac twelve, yes, Pac twelve, yes, Big Ten, eh, Big Ten. No, there, there could be something to that. I mean, so so that's why I, I really think that it, it's more political than we we really want to give it credit for. I hate it. I hate it. I wish there was a way, especially with with what there was a development that came out earlier this week with the saliva testing that the NBA has worked with a, a, a lab on, and, and I and I think that there there's a reason. Why, if this is going to work, that postponing the season or delaying the season as compared to postponing it would have made so much more sense. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that that's the, I, if I could go back and do it, um, I, I would say, you know, keep postponing as you need, like every two weeks or four weeks or whatever, kind of like, like the US Canada border has, like, they've kind of looked at everything by month by month basis and said, okay, we're going to keep, keep the border closed, keep the border closed, do the same thing uh, in terms of college football and then say, Hey, we know we know things are up in the air. We know you, you know for for student athletes. We know things are up in the air. We know we don't know what direction things are going to go. So if you want to transfer for this one season, that's okay. But I wouldn't take take the the possibility of playing completely off the table until until January. That didn't make any sense to me, especially when you just came out with a ten game conference schedule a week or two earlier. Yeah, and I think that's what what's so frustrating to, to fans is you know the Big Ten and Pac twelve did the same thing. They got your hopes up. And then we find out, you know, the, the players release, um, you know, some demands, which I think most of were fairly reasonable. Obviously, there were a few in there that that uh, seemed a little bit uh, far fetched. But uh, for the most part, uh, then then and then the science came out about myocarditis and and we the unknown long term consequences. It, to me, it, it puts our conference if there is football. It puts our conference at such a disadvantage. And, and and let's be honest, Shane, I think one thing we can both agree on, and I think most Arizona football fans can agree on, we would have watched 0-10 or 0-12 just to have college football. Maybe, maybe. But I, I'm, and I'll, I'll end my comments with this, and I'm going to go back to this one more time. I think you and a lot of people are underestimating those demands in the Players' Tribune. I think, I think a lot of... ADs and school presidents are scared to death about that sort of thing. And I think that played a bigger role uh, than, especially because media are largely, and again, I don't want to get into this too much, but I think media are largely sympathetic to the players' demands. And I think that the schools know that, and they know there's going to be that that pressure and, and sports media have a lot of sway and, and we're going to largely cheer on these players. Like, yeah, you go, you know, get yours. And I think that played a bigger role. And I think we're going to learn eventually that played a bigger role in the Pac-12s and Big Ten's decision than a lot of people might think. One more thing for you, Shane, before we move on and talk to Coach Rodriguez and then, of course, our friend Jeff Dean. Do you like what the Schooler brothers – do you understand what the Schooler brothers, uh, Colin and then his brother Braden, who had transferred from Oregon, they are transferring out of Arizona uh, as of this week uh, to go to another conference to play football. you agree with this or do you – not do you not like it? 
No, I well, I don't like it from a U of A fan perspective, but I but I I completely support them. I mean, again, they they expect to play college football. Like in Colin in Colin Schooler's case, you know, he's not just he doesn't just have one more season to play college football. It's an audition for the NFL, and he wants to go out and play. And I don't blame him for that. I I feel awful for any for any college football player right now that, you know, looking at, you know, teams across the country who are still playing on playing football and they, and they can't play because, because of things that are out of their control. I absolutely, I'm fine with the decision. I encourage any, any student athlete who wants to to play somewhere else, if they have the ability go do it, go, go get yours. I, I I'm going to miss the schoolers. I, I, it's a, it's a damn shame. We're not going to be able to see them play in an Arizona uniform and Colin school schoolers case, not see them play in a uniform again. I really wanted to get one more crack at ASU because he was 0 and three against ASU. And I would have loved to seen him uh, win that game as a senior. Uh, I have no problem at all with what they did. And I, I suspect a lot of other players are going to follow. Now, the one thing that the, that the NCAA came out and said is that if you play somewhere at a, at another school this fall, so let's say there is football and you play at another school uh, or, or you play, you don't lose eligibility. So could you right. see a, a scenario where the Schooler brothers are like, well, hey, we're going to put off the NFL and come back to Arizona uh, for another season? Yeah, I think that's a possibility. but uh, I wouldn't I, say I it's think likely. It, yeah. I don't think no, it's likely. but No, it, it, it leaves open the window, but I, it, you know, it certainly seems like they probably played. You know, Collins probably played his last game as, a, as an Arizona Wildcat, and that's a shame because he's, he's, he was outstanding. He was outstanding for all. I know you, you and I probably disagree as far as how good he was. At how good? How good is Colin, was Colin Schooler at Arizona? I, th- I think he was a notch below Scooby. I, really? I think he was just a, yeah. He was. Really? I mean, he was a one man. He was a. I mean, he w- he wasn't quite up there, but he was a one man wrecking crew for a lot of years. Uh, you know, in, in a in a you know linebacking core that was not very good. I, I think he he's you know and and ho- how many linebackers does Arizona have on uh, on its roster now? Two. Uh, I think they have like <laughs> six, and it's. It's probably a good thing that they're not playing anytime soon because this was going to be a really questionable team at best. And we'll talk to we'll talk to Jeff Dean about his thoughts on on the state of the football program and what's next for Arizona football and basketball later in the show. And of course, on Wildcat Country every week, we will talk more basketball. But right now, football has been in the news. We're certainly hoping there is something to the basketball bubble, and Jeff will tell us more about that. Coming up next, let's talk to Coach Rich Rodriguez. He is never shy with a sound bite, so we'll find out what Coach has to say. He's going to be traveling, so we're not quite sure what kind of audio we're going to get from Coach. Always hit and miss when uh, when when they're on the road. Hopefully, he's got a decent cell signal, so we'll we'll find out. But we appreciate Coach taking his time. I know he's been traveling, and he's a uh, he's a tough guy to to get a hold of. So we appreciate him carving out some time. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll see what we can do. This is Wildcat Country. What a thrill to have Coach Rich Rodriguez joining us here on Wildcat Country. If there was any coach that that had a more exciting style of football that we've seen in Tucson, uh, it's not it's impossible. Coach, uh, great to have you on the show. Uh, the one question that we all have to ask right now: When do you believe is the next time we will see Division One college football? Boy, you're right at there. Two weeks ago, I was told you for sure we're going to have a season. Uh, now, I think it's. 50-50 at best, but uh, having been in the SEC and in the ACC, they're going to uh, do everything they can to make it safe and have a, at least some type of season, at least try to. I think unless something dramatic happens, 
from an outbreak standpoint or something like that, that we will have a minimal season, uh, maybe 10 games. It might get cut short uh, starting at the end of September. If not, they'll try something in the spring. But it is, I don't think anybody has an answer. I applaud the ones that are that are trying to have one, but I also understand the ones that aren't. And it's because it's so fractured on by state and how the states are handling pandemics, I think it's unrealistic for people to think that, you know, without a central body like the NFL and the NBA has, that it's going to be an easy solution. Well, I mean, it, it certainly is. Uh, it, it's so complicated and sad that we lost big, the Big Ten and the Pac-12. What do you think the impact is if the the other three major conferences play and those two don't? I mean, that would be a, a nightmare for and set those two conferences back years, I would think. Well, the biggest impact, obviously, is the opportunity for the student-athletes. But for the institution, it's, you know, there's no question – the financial impact, you're talking up to 50, 60, maybe even over $90 million in institution. Then it's hard to get that back. Now, you can, particularly with uh, TV revenue in the next few years, but it's going to be a long, long time. And I'm, I'm afraid it's going to cost uh, institutions, not only some sports, but some of them, the smaller institutions, may have to cut uh, programs and, and a lot of other things. And that's what's really scary. But that's the times we're in, and, and uh, like I said I understand why some institutions are doing. I I would have I would have thought that maybe we, you know you didn't have to make a decision right now. Why why not go ahead and try to practice to see if something changes in the next few weeks and try to have an abbreviated season starting in October. But you know everybody has their own agendas and what they want to do. But it's going to be a financial impact that will take many many years to recover if then. Hey, Coach, uh, Shane Dale here, and I know your uh, your son, Rhett, was the, uh, well, first of all, he was the valedictorian of the student-athlete graduating class, which is fantastic, but I know this is also uh, supposed to be his senior season with the UVA football team. Uh, how is he feeling, and, and do you know how the other, his teammates are feeling about the Pac-12's decision to uh, at least postpone football until January at the earliest? I've seen some of them, yes, because uh, I actually helped Rhett move. Uh, like a lot of college kids, you move every year, and he has uh, all his roommates, the football players. So, you know, last week I got a chance to sit down and see some of them. We talked about it a little bit. Now, for Rhett, you know, I'm really proud of him. He graduated in three years, and so he's got still got another record year. So he still has two to play two, and and um, you know, he's for most he's got he's probably the only quarterback that hasn't ended the transfer portal. You know, that's uh, in his situation, but. Uh, he won the battle to Pete and he you know, spring ball got cut short, so it's, it's kind of, everybody's kind of not sure what's going to happen, but he's still working out. Yeah. Um, I think all the players are probably disappointed. I thought he was, that, um, they're not having a season, but they were also a little weird. They didn't really want to have a, a short abbreviated season either. So, you know, they're all up here and that's what's going on and, and they want to play, but they want to be safe too. And, and to most of those kids' credit, Rhett and his roommates, and I think most of the athletes around the country, they have done what they were supposed to do, social distancing and all that. And you don't have to play if you're a football player to get to, to get the, the virus. It could be just right. bad luck or being around the wrong person. And, yeah. and so for them to say football causes it, I understand you know, the number of people, but I think it's um, a little crazy. But the kids were smart, and, and, and just seeing the ones I've seen, they've been pretty smart. They did all they can. It's just an unavoidable circumstance. 
Yeah, Co- Coach. Uh, what about you? What have you uh, been up to since the last college football season? I know your your time at Ole Miss was uh, was just was pretty short, but uh, what have you been up to lately? Yeah, uh, we would like to uh, obviously get over to we play so many young kids on offense. We were really excited for the future, but it happened. And then uh, you know, at the time, we thought, okay, well, we'll have to go find another job or or truly be retired. I didn't want to really want to be retired just yet. So, um, you know, I got a chance, the opportunity to meet and sign with a new agency with, um, Bob Lamont, who's terrific. He has most of the NFL guys, Sean McVay and John Gruden and, and Andy Reid and a bunch of guys and got a chance to meet some of them guys and talk to them about it. And then all of a sudden, uh, the COVID hit. And so it kind of cut short a lot of opportunities that may have been out there. But at the same time, I'm still looking. I, I still want to coach. Uh, but I don't, you know, right at this point, everything's kind of up in flux. But I've enjoyed some time being able to with my family. I've been able to uh, visit some folks and, as best as you can in this kind of day and age. And then I'm just trying to get ready for the next opportunity. It's been a lot, you know, like a lot of coaches, you probably watch more film and did more reading and studying of uh, things than we've ever had before because of the time. But uh, now we've got to put it to use. Coach Rich Rodriguez joining us here on Wildcat Country. Uh, Coach, you know, I, I know it's kind of a painful memory to ask, and this is non-U of A related, but uh, in the Egg Bowl last year, uh, that was probably one of the most cra- one of the craziest endings I've ever seen. Do you still think personally that Matt Luke and and the coaching staff would still be employed if Ole Miss had won that football game? I do. If we didn't have that one penalty by. He's an outstreet young man. He just had a moment where he, he got too excited and had a silly penalty. Uh, and that's how, totally out of his character. If he had not uh, lifted his leg in the end zone, we're still at Ole Miss. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know, so, so taking a leak in the corner of the end zone, fake leak in the corner of the end zone, probably cost us all of our jobs. That's just my opinion. The school literally did that play the factor in it, which is, you know, I think it was more than that, obviously, but at the yeah. same time, I think Matt Luke was doing a great job. I think uh, just looking at the personnel that we had and that we had signed and what was going to happen in a very tough week, it was going to be good times are coming. But, you know, at this day and age, schools, if they have the money, they got the, the right to, to make a decision, and move on, and, and uh, that's what they did. But I do think that played a factor in it, uh, uh, in it and that's, that's disappointing. So uh, this is probably, and I want you to be candid on this one, but this is kind of a weird one, though. You've coached all over the place, big conference after big conference, you know, Big Ten, SEC, obviously, uh, you know, West Virginia and the Big East. Um, Describe the fan experience between what you were used to in the Pac-12 at Arizona and and the SEC or Big Big Ten. It's not in the same category, is it? Well, you know, it's a fair question, and it's a question where all coaches always talk about. Um, when we get an opportunity or, or when we go to different places, you know, having been the, you know, like the Big Ten, the Big East, ACC, and the SEC and all that, you, you get a certain feel for the importance, I guess. And, uh, you know, it was, football was important in Arizona. I got great support, important in the Pac-12. But I think overall, when the SEC says it gets things more, yeah, there is something to that. And I think just from a support standpoint, from a financial standpoint, uh, resources, uh, that kind of, and I always do this kind of analogy. I think, you know, what, what's the difference between Alabama and Clemson and maybe some of the other schools 
uh, in the country that aren't uh, as successful or maybe in other leagues, if they don't apologize to do whatever it takes to have success. Now, I'm not talking illegally breaking the rules. I'm talking about, you know, as far as the resources for the players, the, uh, the facilities, the importance of it, uh, and all that. And that's in, in some schools, you almost, if you're going to give, uh, you know, a new locker room or a new, new facility or something or, or pay coaches more or do whatever you got to do, uh, to get private planes for recruiting, you know, you don't apologize for it in the SEC. And some other schools, you almost got, it almost feels like you've got to thank for it. And I think that's just coaches maybe being competitive and, and me saying that, but I do think that's just some truth to that. Now, at Arizona, I was fortunate because I got there when we had a new facility, and the facility was very, very nice. You know, my students would have loved to have that before I got there. Right. And I, I, I cried for, a, for an indoor facility because I thought we really needed one, and I got a beautiful one. Thanks to Cole and Jeannie Davis and some other supporters, and and I think that was the last kind of step that they needed. But there's uh, there is a difference for sure. Coach, let's jump into your time at, at Arizona, um, taking over in, in 2012. Uh, you had some big signature wins that first year: uh, Oklahoma State, USC at home. Uh, what do you think really got the momentum going at Arizona? Was it some of those big victories early on? Yeah, having a chance to reflect a little bit now, but looking back on it. Then there was, a, there was a big core group of seniors when we got to Arizona that really helped. And then the young guys we were able to recruit and bring in the program learned very quickly and had an opportunity with Matt Scott a quarterback. He was not just good. He was very, very good. I thought he was one of the best players in our league, and we only had him for one year. It would have been kind of neat to have him for more than that. But we were fortunate to have him. We had a tremendous year. The guys brought into the program. So we, 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 we pushed him. I mean, we got after them pretty hard. It was a homing system to learn, and so they did a tremendous job and got some momentum. And, and then uh, in 14, when we won the South, uh, it was just a great collection of young, you know, a lot, a lot of school freshmen, a lot of upperclassmen that had kind of knew the system and, and uh, with an outstanding staff, they did a good job. And I really thought uh, with all the young players we had, Khalil, some of the other guys, we were set up for another really good run. After that, but unfortunately, you Yeah, and coach, you touched you touched on that fourteen season, and um, you know, I know Wildcat fans remember that team as fondly as they do some of the other great ones. Uh, you know, before that year, there wasn't a lot expected of U of A, at least from the outside. They were picked to finish in the bottom half of the Pac-12, and of course, you guys ended up you know going on winning the division for the first time ever. Had some very memorable last-second wins. Going into that season, did you have any idea that how good that team was going to be, especially with a freshman quarterback in Anu Solomon? You never really know for sure uh, with at that position of quarterback uh, with no experience how good you're going to be. But we thought there were going to be pieces around him that were coming back, and we were going to be better than maybe a lot of people thought. And that team had a special kind of uh, uh, attitude, I guess, because when you look at you know, some of the games that come back from when we were down and, and looking at it, they never quit. They just kept playing. And they truly bought into play every play as hard as you can and, and do that about, uh, you know, for three hours. They really took that attitude into effect and won some great games, some close games, and, and, uh, and, and really established themselves. 
Coach, I, I, I hate to say, well, I, I shouldn't hate to say this, but I've been to every U of A home game since 2007. So I was at all of your, your games in Tucson, and honestly, the brand of football was outstanding. But if there's one game I will never forget, it is the Cal game in, in 2014. You're trailing by more than three touchdowns going into the fourth quarter. Tell us what that was like making that comeback, and then obviously the uh, Hill Mary, as it's now known. Yeah. That, that's a perfect example. I mean, we weren't playing well at all, but there was a competing in the fourth quarter. Before, there's a lot of things got to happen for us to, to win this. But I, I never even saw any panic on the sidelines. It wasn't like guys were hanging their heads or anything like that. It's just like, in the last seven or eight, six or seven minutes, we got to have a lot of things go our way. Or the onside kick and a couple of big plays. And, you know, everything that, that we had to have happen for us, good and bad for them, did happen, and obviously the hail mary. Those are those are uh, once in a lifetime kind of things. But the attitude of the team, nobody, and that was emblematic of all year. They never put their head down, and never was discouraged by anything. And that was a perfect example of it. Well, and you look at other games this uh, that year, uh, the Washington game, where you pretty much you you got victory out of the jaws of defeat, as they say. You know, uh, Chris Peter- Peterson didn't take a knee. As he probably should have, you guys got a fumble, and and Casey Scourin kicked that long field goal to win. It just seemed like a team of destiny, and especially going into that ASU game, you guys had to feel uber confident in your chances of, of winning that and and possibly getting to the uh, Pac-12 uh, championship game. Yeah, the league was really competitive, and it, I mean it's still good. Obviously, it's always been very very good. Yeah, but at that then, I think the league was as strong as it's been in a long time. From particularly in the South, from top to bottom. And so every game was going to be a battle. And I think those guys uh, knew that coming in. And particularly as you we had to play well against them and a couple of times we played them. But in that, that game, they had a really good team. You know, we knew that was going to be a huge win. And I can remember coming in. We didn't talk at all about what we needed to happen to win the South, but we knew it. The players knew it. We knew it. And I didn't know until, uh, I don't know, it was the last 30 seconds of it. You know, in a game, our game was prepared and somebody came up to me and said, hey, you know, now we've won the South. And so that was just a thrill and, and uh, we were able to focus and get that big win. Coach, how, how good did it feel, especially after losing the first two games against ASU? And I know you had some bad luck in rivalry games uh, before that, the backyard brawl and otherwise. Uh, just how good did it feel? Did it feel like, um, I don't know, like sort of a monkey off your back? Or just what, what was going through your mind uh, as not only do you win the South, but you're able to, to take that Territorial Cup trophy for the first time? Yeah, that was, you know, I don't know if it was as much thinking about that had happened before, but just with so much uh, at stake in that game, that also, well, there's a lot of stake anyway. Now you put the fact that it is a rivalry game, but uh, I, I choose, you know, you don't think about the consequences of losing, but you think about the consequences of winning, right? right. So I'm like, well, oh, this would be great to be able to, if we could see our rival and it wins the South at the same time. That's the best of everything, and, and, and in particular for your seniors, because your seniors, you think as a coach, I'm going to be there for a long time, and I'll have plenty of time to win plenty of robbery games, but the seniors don't have very many times, you know, four, four opportunities, and so I wanted our seniors to be able to have a great feeling, and I can remember more than anything after the game how happy those seniors were. They want to win the South, but especially to win the South by beating ASU. Well, another game, Coach, the other the other Territorial Cup game that you won was 2016, and that was probably the most unlikely football game or just incomprehensible football game a lot of us have ever witnessed. You guys did not throw a pass in the second half and annihilated an ASU team that, on paper, 
was better than you guys. What? How did that all come about? And how are you able to motivate a team to, to get up like that? Well, that just shows you the motivation of the Rowers. I mean, that was obviously our, our toughest season, our worst season. And we had so many guys. I can remember we had, uh, we had five middle linebackers go down that year, three quarterbacks. And so it was just a, a crazy, all the stuff that was happening. And, you know, I told the guys, I said, well, you know, we, you know, we got one opportunity to at least feel better for the, for the seniors coming out. And that's all this game was about. And, you know, we knew we had to run the football. Uh, it was a, we, we put in a trick play called the huddle. We huddled up for the first time ever. And that was, that was a little different. But I, I, I can remember Samadhi Grant playing tailback. Yeah. And just going off. And, and then the guys up front said, hey, we don't need to sell it. I'm like, I said, that going to? We can run it. We didn't have, we didn't sell it in the second half, I remember. We also didn't have very many third down. But they, they blocked really hard. They did a great job blocking down fields. A lot of big runs. And, Coach, I know your your time at Arizona came to a very uh, sudden end. I know obviously you disagree with the university's decision, but just uh, now that you had a couple of years to reflect and go and do other things, just how do you look back at your time in Arizona and, and the way that your time in Tucson ended? Well, I love Tucson. Love the time at U of A. Uh, we still have a home there. Um, love the people and love the school. I think, mean, you know, U of A is always going to have a special part. Disagree that I think. Uh, it's very disappointing how it, how it happened and, and, you know, things aren't fair. Uh, but I also appreciate the opportunity. Uh, when Greg Burton hired me, I, I thought this was going to be a great opportunity. Why not make Arizona special? We, we had some great moments. We had some down moments, but we thought we had more good than bad. And we thought there was a lot of really, really good things happening. But, um, you know, things happen. And I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about it. And two years later, I probably have softened my anger somewhat, um, yeah. but I don't think it's always, always going to dissipate because a lot of the stuff that, that was said at the end with BS, but um, like I said, I, it's the players and the people in the community and some of my best friends and some of my greatest memories ever. Coach, you know, uh, Kevin Sumlin's time at Arizona hasn't gone as well as he or Wildcat fans would have hoped to this point. Do you think, and obviously you're on the other side of this when you came in with, to Arizona, do you, do you think some of that – the struggles they've had in the last couple of years have to do with just the obvious change in leadership that comes from one coaching staff to the next. And is that typically a tough transition for players? I've been on both ends of it where I came in. Um, the most, like when I went to Michigan or, you know, when I was posted to West Virginia, they were really decimated with quarterback position and a lot of young guys. It was going to take a little while. And I got to Arizona. I had, like I said, I had Matt Scott Kittner. Yeah. That in the transition. Um, so yeah, I think it depends where you go. I do think that, uh, I'd say some bias. I thought there were a lot of really good young players, but there's always going to be transition and, and things that coach, two coaches when the come new system come in. And, uh, you know, a lot of things got to bounce, bounce your way. I do think they got a little spark with the Indoor building getting built and hopefully that'll help them in, in a recruiting standpoint. I know a little bit more about what's going on because my son's on the team. And I don't ask him too much because I want, don't want to put him in an uncomfortable spot, but, sure. um, it's a, it's a great place. You can win there. It's not as easy to win as, as maybe the brand name schools, football-wise, you know, the Alabamas and Clemson's and all that, but you can win there, and, and they've got a lot of pieces in place. Now, this whole pandemic is kind of throwing everybody for a loop, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 it could be a special place for sure. 
Coach, my last one, and, and, and thank you for joining us here. I know Shane has one more after this, but uh, I want to ask you about recruiting. Uh, that's one area where you, you had a certain brand of, of athlete that you would bring in, guys that, that could were versatile and could play all over, but really weren't uh, typically suited, at least by recruiting experts, for the pro game. How would you defend your recruiting at Arizona against those who, I mean, you won, you won games there, which obviously we haven't seen in the last few years. How would you defend that uh, against those critics? That's a fair question. Now, okay, sometimes people base your recruiting success based on how many guys that get drafted. And that's, that's fair to some effect, but at the same time, it should be based on how much success those guys had in college. And, you know, I think you could, we got a lot of good players. We had a few going in the NFL. Some are still playing there. Uh, but we thought we were going to be able to get better ones when we got the indoor building. Sometimes it takes a little while to get, to get that going. It's not easiest place to recruit to, not because two players in a great city it is. It's just not a lot of fights that go through Tucson. A lot of guys don't go through there on the way to somewhere else. And, and there were good players in the state that you got to get, but a lot of the other players, you got to go a long way to get them on campus. So uh, I thought we had a good plan to win and have success as our program grew and as the reputation of the program grew. So it's never going to be easy, easy. But you can get guys there. But I think sometimes people equate success to how many first rounders you have, and that you probably should just look more at how kind of success those young men have in college first. Coach, last question for you. And like Eric said, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, I know you touched on this a little bit, but what's next for you? Uh, you plan on taking some time off, or do you want to jump into uh, the coaching again as soon as uh, as soon as that's an option for you? Yeah, I think so. I think I look. You know, I'd like to do one more, one or two more runs left in me. Uh, I mean, the, uh, the ultimate experience, even though it was shit, I really enjoyed it. I wanted to, you know, I played up to two teams, but I hadn't been in the league and hadn't been in the league a little bit and, and, uh, competing with that, you know, kind of, uh, reinvigorated that, you know, but I like to be able to run my own program again. And I've got a great staff, I think, that I could put together in a hurry, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm been blessed to have what I've had and, a lot of great memories, and, and I, I feel good that you know maybe something happened in the near future. Rich Rodriguez, thanks for joining us here on Wildcat Country. You went 43-35 and 35 at Arizona. I don't know the next time that we're going to see a, a coach with a winning record at, at our school, but thank you so much for representing us and, and making us proud uh, on and off the field, and uh, we wish you all the best and hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot, and I uh, really appreciate everybody's support while we were there. And uh, Thanks, Coach. We Thanks, it. Coach. That was awesome. Thanks so much. Welcome back to Wildcat Country. I am Eric Cohen, along with Shane Dale. We were pleased to be joined by Coach Rich Rodriguez in the last segment. We know that the audio from his cell phone chain, we were worried about that. And a guess little what questionable, happened? A little questionable, but we did the best we could. Like I said, he's traveling. He's a tough guy to get a hold of, so we did the best we could. But what we did is we transcribed, and by, by we I mean I, uh, transcribed the uh, entire interview uh, on territorial-sports.com. Uh, you can find it there. We'll post a link on our social media channels, uh, territorial-sports.com. So you can find the whole thing in written form uh, for the – for the rougher segments during that uh, during that interview, we appreciate Coach taking time to chat with us. Nonetheless, uh, what a what a blast to talk to Coach Rodriguez, and what a blast to talk to this next guy, what, the guy who 
originally was the host of of this when the Wildcat Country debuted in 2017. Has one of the best voices of all time. You can find him on Twitter. What is it? At UAZ Voice. It's Jeff Dean, the voice of Wildcat football and basketball. Glad to have you on here. Uh, Jeff, uh, what is your fall going to be like without college football? Are you going to be devastated like the rest oh, of us? Oh, man. I mean, I, I know when the news came out from the Pac-12 that they were going to be canceling the season, you know, we kind of found out about 20, 30 minutes before the actual press conference occurred and they made the official announcement. But, you know, all I tweeted was, and I, I haven't been tweeting a lot. Honestly, I just, there's just not a whole lot going on. So, I, and I'm not a big Twitter guy anyways, but um, I tweeted out, you know, my heart is officially broken. And that was speaking directly from my, you know, immediately broken heart at that point. I, I just, Everything that I was looking forward to, you know, it's been a really rough summer for, for everybody. And based on, on everything that we were looking forward to with, with college football and college basketball, you know, I mean, we, you know, we weren't even, even looking that far ahead, although I was. And then to get the, the word that all sports had been canceled through the remainder of the calendar year was, it was heartbreaking. I mean, it really, really was. Um, so, and I know that they, say that they have plans or they've got some ideas about starting on January 1. I'll believe it when I see it. And same thing goes for the other football conferences, the other three power fives that say they're going to continue. I'll I'll believe it when they actually kick off a football in those conferences. Yeah, I was saying earlier in the show, I didn't think there was going to be fall football. I think you're you're seconding that. Uh, When is the next time we will see the Wildcats on a football field? September 2021. Yeah, there's just – to me, there's there's no way – that you can get doctors to clear kids who normally would have seven to nine months of rest between seasons, then to ask them to take two and a half months of rest and go through the same rigors. There's, there's just no way, no doctor's going to sign off on that. Um, so I, I fully expect to have, uh, you know, some screaming fans, September, the first week of September, or the last week of, of August, 2021. Uh, Jeff, do you think the Pac-12 at this point, uh, and I don't know if you can speak to this or even want to, but I'm going to ask you anyway, do you think that they really do expect to have spring football or is that just something that they're they're putting out there right now? It's tough. It's difficult to answer that question, really. Um, I want to say that they're trying to be optimistic, but I mm-hmm. think what they're honestly doing is dangling the carrot in front of our faces. Um, but I will say this, at least they're not doing it the way that the Big Ten went about it. I thought the Pac-12 for once in a long time actually showed out as, as the, the leader um, that they really have the opportunity to be in many, in many opportunities where they've, they've decided to, uh, to be the followers. But in this case, they were the leaders. And then they, for all of the negative news and the negative comments that are out there and opinions about the big 10 and the way they handled it, it's the exact opposite for the PAC 12. Everybody is, is applauding the PAC 12 and the way that they handled the announcement. But I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm extremely pessimistic about any kind of football occurring prior to the fall season of 2021. So uh, my immediate reaction is to believe that it's just a a carrot being dangled in front of our faces until they tell us, sorry, the bad news is the doctors told us we can't play. It's not on us. We wanted to play, yada, yada, yada. They at least have that out, which is fine. You know, and Eric and I discussed this at the beginning of the show uh, that, you know, the Pac-12 releases a 10-game conference schedule. And then within, what, two weeks, uh, reverses course and says we're not having any football. What what do you think happened during that period? I don't think anything happened. I think they made a huge mistake releasing the schedule. 
the information that they've been gathering over the last four months did not change within those two weeks between when they released the schedule and when they said that we're not going to play football. I think basically what happened was, is they released the schedule. The pressure cooker got really, really hot from the medical side and the political side. And that's when they had to shut everything down. uh, Yeah. But don't you think myocarditis and that issue though, Jeff played into it, you know, the, the long-term implications of COVID-19. First of all, the myocarditis cases that are occurring in the Big Ten, 33% of them should have been pre-diagnosed before COVID-19 ever came to America. These were pre-existing conditions that have now been found because of COVID-19 testing. So 33% of those cases were already existing. Um, there is a legitimate threat for myocarditis. And it should be taken very, very seriously because it is a, a serious, life-threatening uh, type of thing. But to be honest, the, the, the amount of cases of myocarditis that were found and the projection of possible outcomes of, of myocarditis from COVID-19, I thought were so minimal. You know, there are plenty, a, a litany of other heart conditions that come from playing sports. Myocarditis is a byproduct of one of those, also happens to be a byproduct of COVID-19. So I think it was kind of a perfect storm for that. And yes, I understand. And I, I, I want everybody to be safe. These guys are not being paid to play the game. And I, I think that player safety and student athlete safety should absolutely be the number one thing. Okay. But for a lot of people to kind of hide behind the myocarditis uh, uh, argument, I think is, is really trying to find 10 cases in 22,000 athletes. That's just a really too too small of a sample to stand behind, in my opinion. Jeff, uh, there were a couple letters in the Players Tribune, uh, some from Pac-12 players and then from Big Ten players, uh, along you know, listing some financial demands, especially in the in the Pac-12, along with uh, you know safety uh, for from COVID nineteen and some and some like universal safety standards. Uh, I know there was one a Power Five AD who went unnamed saying that was as big an issue in terms of uh, the big 10's decision, the PAC 12's decision as anything else in terms of just, you know, the school presidents and the, and the, the universities just being like, uh, th- this is, th- this could potentially disrupt a lot of, a lot of things. Do you think that had anything to do with the big 10 and PAC 12's decision? Or is that anything you, you can you even speak to that? I oh, mean, you know, it's, it's one of those, I mean, no athletic department wants to lose money, you, you know, and, and especially, you know, I can speak for, for university of Arizona, you know, and Dave Hickey even even mentioned, you know, he says the football program, the football season was going to bring in between anywhere between 60 and 65 million dollars into the athletic program. Um, I, I honestly don't think that that this was any type of a, a financially driven decision. I mean, obviously not. If it had been financially driven, they'd have either gone out and found the doctors to give them the OK to play or they'd have just ignored the doctors yeah. all, you know, altogether. Um, I, I agree after reading the 12 page document, skimming through it, I didn't read it every, you know, letter to letter, uh, after skimming through it, getting the bullet points of it, the highlights of it, I agree. Uh, I, I think it was necessary for the PAC 12 to suspend and or cancel the fall football season. Um, I don't disagree with that. It, it hurts. It hurts like crazy, but I do agree with it because as I, as I mentioned, it's player safety is number one, student athlete safety is number one. I just, you know, they're, they're talking about how can you 
expect these players to go in and have close contact with one another? And my answer, you know, my, my question is, how do you expect students to come in and live in a, a 12 by 12 dorm for students to a 12 by 12 dorm? That's, uh, to me, that's equally as bad, if not worse, than the players who will be, you know, playing, playing, you know, football, uh, you know, the volleyball, the basketball, I mean, all the other, you know, fall sports as well. I, I, I think sports is getting picked on, to be honest with you. And I, I don't like that. Well, it's all about testing too. And the frequency of testing, which they would obviously be able to do. You would hope so, especially if there's, if this new saliva test, if there's, if it has legs that they would be able to do that more in, uh, when it comes to college athletics, but let's talk for another second about another sport that is very, uh, near and dear to your heart. And that's basketball. And I know that the non-conference schedule for the Wildcats, men's and women's teams, uh, through, uh, December was canceled, at least as of now. Do you expect that we will see some kind of Pac-12 basketball season uh, in the new year? I do think that we'll have basketball in the new year. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm confidently optimistic that the the COVID, um, you know, the the scare, and I think we'll start to get really I- incredibly close to concrete numbers by November. Uh, at least that's my hope. And I think by then we'll have four to six weeks to decide whether or not to tip off the college basketball season in the first week of January. Um, and I think that's plenty of time to get the players back into session, get them practiced and get them up to, you know, uh, getting up to the, the condition to be able to play in games. They'll be able to have enough practices under their belt at that time to where they can be in actual game condition. Um, you, you just scrap the non-con schedule and you go with a conference schedule, you crown a conference champion. And if the NCAA wants to put on a, a tournament, which I would be all, all for, um, then I think what you would do at that point is you would just take, um, you know, maybe you take the top four from each of the power five conferences and then 44 other teams and off you go. That's how you would do it. That's how you would decide. You know, and it's, it's not like I, I did say 44, 48, you know, 68 teams. I always forget about the play in games because, you know, that's ASU's territory. Oh, there it's sixty-four. That's, that's right. ASU's territory. We don't talk about the the, the four <laughs> playing games. Um, you know, and, and that's just me shooting from the hip. This is not something that I've had in-depth conversations with anybody on. But if if it were me, um, and you, you look at the amount of teams that are playing college basketball that are non-power five, I think 44, 48 teams is enough for those other conferences and bring the top 20 teams from the power five conferences. And I know the ACC would be upset about that. The SEC was supposed to have a big year. The big 10 was supposed to have a big year this year. And they'd probably say, we'd normally have seven or eight teams. in." you know what? Too bad. Too, too bad. Every, every power five gets four teams. That's what that populates 20, uh, you know, uh, 20 seeds in the, in the tournament. And if you want to seed, if, you know, if the number, if the, if the fourth place team from the pac 12 isn't near anywhere nearly highly as ranked as, uh, you, you know, uh, Creighton or something like that, then you give Creighton a three seed and move that Pac-12 team to a five seed or something like that. I, you know, that's not, that, that's so far down the road, but I absolutely think that we should have some form of college basketball being played in 2021. Now we haven't talked about this at all on the show. And I, and I really would like to, in the coming weeks, uh, Shane is uh, about Sean Miller and his new philosophy on what he's done with this Wildcats basketball program. But as of right now, Jeff, in your opinion, are the Wildcats, would the Wildcats make your tournament as one of the four best teams in the Pac-12? Yeah, that's really difficult. Um, given, 
Because who right. knows what to given, expect from given these guys, Sean's right? Sean's class uh, of of players that he's brought in, you know, there it's a it's a lot of European players, and unfortunately, I don't know much about them. Um, you know, certainly the players that are going to be returning to this program for this season for the for the twenty twenty uh, and twenty one season, I had a, I had some optimism, and I, I feel like Arizona was a top thirty team going into this going into this season. I don't know. If I would put them in the, I definitely wouldn't have put them in the top twenty, but somewhere between twenty-one and thirty, I think is about where Arizona would have come in. And I will say this: I know, I know what Sean looks for in players, and, and he's talked about it. And I think that basketball has taken an interesting turn over the last uh, four or five years. I want to say, it almost seems like European players have started to become the tough guys. And that the American-born players have become the soft prima donnas, want to launch shots from 32 feet out, don't really want to play the game of basketball. And I think Sean has started to take note of that and said, you know what? The European guys that we've seen are guys that I want to bring in here. They want to bang. They want to practice hard. They want to play basketball the way that I was brought up and the way that I want to coach basketball. And these other guys, these these guys, and, I, and I'm not going to name any names, and I'm sure plenty of Wildcat fans will have their list of people that fit on this list. But the other guys that he's been bringing in that didn't really care about being here, didn't really care about showing up to practice and working hard and playing the type of basketball that Sean wants them to play uh, on, on a nightly basis, I, I think he's grown very, very weary of those of those types of, of, of players. And I applaud him for going out and getting the Euros because, I mean, even when you look in the NBA, some of the toughest guys in the NBA are the European players. It's really taken a turn because we called them soft three, four years ago. We're like, I'm soft Euro players. All they want to do is play around the perimeter. They don't have any any physical skills. And now it's the Euro players who are like, that guy brings his A game to the court every single night and he wants to bang and he wants to be physical with people and he's going to announce his presence every single night. Jeff, who are uh, who are you most excited about seeing uh, on the court for Arizona next season? I know you're still getting uh, familiar with some of these guys, but just based on what you've seen, what you heard, who are you looking forward to seeing the most? Brandon Williams. Yeah, I I I, I love Brandon. Um, he has got such an amazing desire to play the game of basketball, specifically for Sean Miller. And when you have people that are like that in your program, and especially now that he's going to be going into his third year in this program, he really knows what to expect out of Sean. And Sean lays it out for him. And, you know, and I've, I've been in practices where Sean Miller has told Brandon Williams that you came to this program because you told me that you wanted to be coached hard and I'm going to coach you hard every single day, every single minute of every single day, I'm going to coach you hard. And that's when Brandon Williams responds. And now that he's gotten some time under his belt, and he knows, I think he knows that his time playing basketball may be short, a hell of a lot shorter than I think he thought it was going to be three years ago, that's for sure, with the ongoing injuries. And if he can stay healthy, I think the fans are really going to dig the new Brandon Williams. Well, not only that, though, Jeff, when you look at the philosophy of Sean Miller and his recruiting, I mean, he has, he is, instead of going for these one and done guys, he's looking for, for three and four year players, uh, from the European route. You know, I, I would love to have a team full of Peyton Pritchards, you know, from Oregon, a guy that was a four year player who got better every year, you know, went from a, obviously they got to the final four as a, when he was a freshman, but I mean, he was the, the, the Pac 12 player of the year this past year. He was a, he was a star. 
And if, if Kirk Creesa is the next Peyton Pritchard, and you know there may be there's maybe a year or two of rough seas to know that that the Wildcats are going to be elite in a few years with a veteran team. I'll take that all day every well, day. Well, the Wildcats are always going to be good. You know, Sean Miller doesn't coach losing teams. Sean Miller doesn't coach 500 teams. You know, he's he's going to put together a team that's going to compete for Pac-12 titles every single year. They may not be the favorite every single year, but they're always going to compete. They're always going to be tough to beat at home at the McHale Center. And that's just, that's the MO. And that's something that has been in place in Tucson for a long time, for over 30 years. And Sean is very successful. He knows exactly what kind of player. Sean Miller did not forget how to recruit basketball players overnight. That doesn't happen. He's one of the best recruiters in the entire country, one of the hardest working recruiters in the entire country. He did not lose that. He went out with a very specific plan to go get these guys. And I'm really excited to see the, the way that they play together, the nucleus of the team. Jeff, who's your uh, who's your Pac-12 favorite uh, on the men's basketball side uh, next season? Oh man, that's tough. Uh, Don't do it. Don't do it. But I, I know you're probably thinking. Don't do it. I mean, I mean, come on. UCLA is, you know, this is this is the most talented team coming up. I mean, last year's team was already the most talented team that Mick Cronin had ever coached in his coaching career. This year's UCLA team is more talented than last year's UCLA team, and they're a more veteran team. Uh, I, I can't, I can't imagine, I can't imagine a better situation than what UCLA is in right now. Oregon is replacing a ton of people. USC has talent; they get talent every year and finish fourth and fifth. You know, Arizona State and, and you know Bobby has has put together a nice team. Uh, I'm not sure if it's his kind of team. We'll see. I, you know, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, Verge is probably going to be starting for them, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, uh, Alonzo Verge might be uh, the the forever six man. He's you know he's Vinny the microwave Johnson. He just wants to come off the bench. That's the only way that he can play basketball is coming off the bench. So I I, I don't know. This Pac-12 season was was already looking like one of the more competitive basketball uh, Pac-12 seasons that we've seen in a while because I think conceivably. There are six teams that could win the conference. If you really stretch it out. Jeff, Jeff Dean, the voice of the Wildcats, joining us here in Wildcat Country. All right, so I know this is kind of a sensitive topic, so I'm going to phrase it this way. Do you believe that when when all is said and done, the Wildcats will get a postseason ban from the recruiting sanctions that will come down from the yeah, NCAA? I mean, I honestly don't know. I I, I, I it's, it's, it's I, re- I really point. don't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> at this. I, I mean, at, at this point, what what difference would it make, anyways? And and to be honest with you, I have so very little respect for the NCAA at this point. The way that they handed the bag to the Power Five conferences on this COVID nineteen thing and said, "Here, you guys deal with it. We'll just go ahead and pocket all the billions of dollars that we milk and farm from your programs and from your schools and from these bowl games you guys work hard for to participate in." And then they just hand them the bag and say, "You guys deal with it." I've lost all respect for the NCAA. So honestly, I couldn't care less what they say about the Arizona uh, basketball program, Arizona football program. They want to suspend the, they want to suspend a, a program for something. That's fine. That's their ruling. And that's something we have to live with. It doesn't mean that I have to respect any one bit of it. 
Uh, Jeff, uh, well, first of all, next time we bring you on, can you start telling us how you really feel? Uh, but I'll try. I, it's it's been a while since I've done any kind of sports talk, so you know I've kind no, of this forgotten. Has fun. Yeah. This has been great. I've I've loved. I, this has been my my favorite part of the show right now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I want I want. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. This has been that's, fun. That's that's uh, that's that's really sad, Shane. You got to put no, together a better I, I, program. Thanks, Shane. Thanks a lot. No, Jeff's great. You're you're doing great. You've been part great. of it too, Eric. You've been you're you know you're there. Oh, okay. Okay. So okay. Uh, I, I know Jeff, you're, you're not obviously as close with the, on the, about the women's basketball program, but they looked like they were potential final four contenders last season. It might be again this season. Just how, just, you know, how impressed are you with what Adia Barnes has done down there? Shane, you and I talked about it when we, when we first started wildcat country um, and we, we had discussed the potential of what Adia Barnes could bring to this program, coming back to her alma mater, being able to recruit, because she was the top recruiter at Washington when they were challenging for Final Fours every year, and they had the top players in, the, in, the, uh, in, in women's college basketball two of the three years that she was an assistant coach in recruiting there. She came here. She immediately put University of Arizona on the recruiting map. It wasn't number one. It wasn't number 10. It was like number 39 or something like that in the country. You know what? It's the highest Arizona's ever been, and it was her first year here. And you look at the amount of excitement and the way that they generate, that team just generates its own momentum. It's unbelievable. And the way that they took over the NIT, I mean, they, they shattered attendance records for the women's NIT, which, again, small victories, but still in such a short amount of time. And I have to commend her and her staff and all of the student athletes that play for her and have worked for her. Um, they are a team 100% of the way you go to a practice. Everybody is on the same page. Everybody is pulling the rope as Rich Rodriguez would say, tugging the rope in the same direction. And it's a true team effort all the way from the head coach through to the players, down to the equipment managers and the other staff that work on the team. They are a 100% team, and you don't get to see that very often. There are no me people on that uh, on that squad. There are no me people in that program. It's very impressive what she's done. And, you know, I, I was going to buy season tickets. I didn't have season tickets for football last year. Um, I had given, you were I, I had given up my yeah, season tickets the for the first time in, in 15 years. I had I had two purchases that I was going to make this year. I was going to once again buy football season tickets just because I want to have them and I I feel like I would I want to support the team and I'll just turn my paycheck into in, in, into season tickets which is fine. I was also going to buy women's season tickets, women's basketball because I want to support a team like that and I want to support a coach like Adia Barnes. That is awesome. And and Ari McDonald, probably the best uh, basketball player, uh, women's basketball player we've seen at Arizona in, in quite a while. the best player in the conference. I want to talk about honestly she, oh, she might so. be the best player yeah, in the conference. It, uh, you know, in, in all the great players that they've they've brought in at Stanford and Oregon, um, now that you know UNESCO's gone, I, I mean, Ari McDonald might be the most complete player in the entire Pac-12, which is incredible to think of where yeah. where Arizona came from, no, where they no. started for uh, from four years ago. And that's recruiting from Adia Barnes. Let's talk about the uh, the one program that we've we've kind of hinted at him, but you you just brought it up with the football team. Before this season was canceled, what were you expecting from this squad? Oh. You know yeah, exactly, it, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I wasn't expecting them to challenge for a Southern Division title. 
I don't think they were going to be one of the top two or three teams in this division. But man, Grant Gannell, I, I'm I'm telling you right now, if and I know that we haven't seen a huge sample size of Grant Gannell. I've talked to a few people, um, some guys that are in the scouting business and that have done some some NFL scouting. They have watched Grant Gannell, and they have told me that we have a potential first-round NFL draft pick in Grant Gannell. Wow. He is really? absolutely – He, I mean, you know, it's funny because – when the when the PFF when the when the PFF rankings came out at the end of last season, okay, and Pac-12 fans were screaming, they're like, "Why did Grant Gannell get this you know this crazy high score and be you know be rated the best freshman quarterback in the league when there are guys like you know, you know the, the the QB at USC and, and then of course uh, the kid up in Tempe and they performed extremely well. They, those were guys that were forced to go in and play right away. They didn't have to sit behind Khalil Tate, who was a potential Heisman, uh, Heisman Trophy candidate. But what the scouts see is an overall better product with a lot higher ceiling than anyone, any other freshman quarterback in this league. And I am really, really upset that we're not going to watch him take snaps this year because he was, he was the shining beacon of this program. And this, this team was not going to win a ton of games. I think they were going to struggle to get to 500, to be honest with you, given the schedule. But Grant Gannell is the real deal. In an alternate uh, COVID-free world, Jeff, who, who would have won the Pac-12 this year, in your opinion, in football? You know, I, I mean, there's no reason to think that Oregon wouldn't win it. Um, they have the best defense in the conference. They have the two best players in the conference. I still think Mario Cristobal is good for two losses a season just based on his poor coaching alone. I still think he's the worst. He's the worst coach on a sideline in this conference, in my opinion. The worst wow. coach, the worst really? sideline coach in this conference. Wow. However, the work that he does in recruiting and the work that he does in preparation and getting the toughness out of his players, a toughness that we haven't seen at Oregon probably forever, to be honest with you. Uh, it's a different looking Oregon team. They were going to win games, you know, 26 to 13, 21 to 17. They were going to win football games like that. It wasn't going to be 52 to nothing uh, type of stuff. They were going to get out there with the best offensive line, quite possibly the best offensive tackle we've seen in this conference in 20 years in, in Penny Sewell. The best defensive rush passer in the entire in the entire country in, in Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau is the best pass rusher Fantastic. in the country. Oh, you, you watch him play 10 snaps and it'll tell you already that he's the best player in the entire country at, at his position. And if he could find a way to go to the NFL draft, he'd be the number two NF, he'd be the number two pick behind Trevor Lawrence tomorrow. Guaranteed. Wow. All right. Well, Jeff Dean, thank you so much for joining us. We've got to ask you one final question. Look into your crystal ball. Give us one bold prediction on anything Arizona related for the 2021 school year. Uh, foot, uh, football, basketball, baseball, softball, women's basketball, volleyball, anything. Okay. Um, you know, I'm going to go with, with, with a team that, that I, again, I, you know, I've been looking forward to seeing and a team that I was really upset when they canceled their season earlier this year. But the Arizona baseball team, they have got something really special going on there. The pitching staff that they were able to put together almost literally overnight 
and the way that they hit the ball, they're one of the best hitting teams in the entire country. And now they have some young arms. And I watched a couple of games where they had some guys on that mound that were throwing 95, 96 miles an hour. And I, I, I immediately took very close note of that. I thought that team was going to be able to, to challenge for the Pac-12 title this year. You know, I mean, most people felt that the two, you know, the 2019 squad was the biggest college World Series snub, or you know, the the postseason baseball postseason snub in the history of college baseball. Um, and I thought last year's team was going to take that chip on their shoulder right into that and and qualify for the College World Series. And I thought I think this year's team has the potential to win the conference, get a top seed host a regional and really do some damage. They are very, very good. If there's anyone who has their finger on the pulse of Arizona athletics better than Jeff Dean, I don't know who they are. Jeff, thanks as always for joining us and look forward to having you on many more times as we go about this, uh, this whole process of football, basketball, and the other sports here at uh, the Wildcat athletics. My pleasure, fellas. Bear down. Bear down. It is Shane. It's been an, a, uh, an ex- a super sized show. Had a blast. How can people find us on social Cat media? Cat Country AZ on Twitter, Wildcat Country AZ on Instagram, and just look for us on Facebook at Wildcat Country. You'll find us. We want to thank our guest, Coach Rich Rodriguez, and of course, the great Jeff Dean. For Shane Dale, I'm Eric Cohen. We'll see you next week. And as always, bear down. <laughs>